you can tell an awful lot about a person by what makes them upset. I you to think about that for just a moment. You can tell an awful lot about you by what makes you upset. And here's the reason for that. We get upset when something that we value is threatened. You're sensible people. I want you to think about, is that true? You get upset when something that you value is threatened. When someone cuts you off on the highway, why do you get angry? You might get angry because you're running late and because you value your time. You value your reputation lest you show up late. You value your job. You value something that is threatened. Maybe it's you value your safety. Someone has driven recklessly and you are upset because you could have killed me. You could have injured my children in the back. How dare you? You get angry, you get upset when what you value is threatened. And this is why I say it is something so helpful for us as a kind of x-ray onto our own heart value system when we see what makes us upset. When we're trying to watch the ball game or follow along with some hobby and the kids are getting in the way and we get upset, what is it showing? It shows what we value. When we are upset at our job, when someone speaks against us in a certain way, or when our reputation takes a hit, or when something else comes into our life to cause conflict, it shows us what we value. What we get upset about is directly connected to what we value. Tabitha and I have been discussing this as young parents. Why is it so easy to get irritated at our young children? Why, why do all of us who have young children know that frustration that wells up in our hearts and we just want to say, Ugh! and what we realize as we were talking about it is, you know what, when you don't get so often frustrated at your children, when you're just focusing on spending time with them and there's really nothing else going on? What makes you really irritated with your children when you're trying to get something done? I've got a project I have to do, and you are hindering me. In the COVID pandemic era when we work from home, believe me, I'm trying to do this. And there's some kind of disruption. Why? Because what we're doing at that moment is what we value. And our children are threatening what we value at the time. And so we get upset. So we get irritated. I'm starting there because this is one of the few passages in the Bible when we see what gets Jesus upset. What would you think would get Jesus upset? Well, remember in Mark chapter 3, we saw Jesus get angry. Thank you, Ben. He was angry. Not in the way that you and I get angry when we kind of lose our temper and we lose control in that kind of explosive anger. No, that was never Jesus. Jesus got angry, it said, because he was grieved. Something cut him to his core. And it was when he was looking to heal a man that had this physical deformity and the Pharisees were standing in the way trying to catch him in a trap. Instead of being right there with him, Jesus, yes, heal this poor man. Yes, it, bring about your divine power to fix this guy. They're sitting there trying to trap him and Jesus looked around at them with anger. That got Jesus upset. But do you know here we see something else that got Jesus really upset? 
Look with me at Mark chapter 10. Verse 13 says, And they brought young children to him that he should touch them, and his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased. He was upset. And he was upset with his disciples. They didn't get it. This is a kind of word that has the idea of just being cut almost to the core. I mean, this is someone who is completely indignant. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think if we're picturing Jesus, you should see his eyes flashing. Again, not from temper, but just like gritting his jaw and saying, this isn't okay. What makes Jesus upset? Well, notice what he says. Suffer or permit the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. What Jesus gets upset with is our treatment of little children. Forbid them not. Why? For of such is the kingdom of God. We need to understand this. We need to understand why Jesus gets so upset when his disciples are trying to stop little children. I mean, we're talking infants and very young toddlers, why he gets so upset when, they are tr they, when the disciples are trying to prevent them from coming to him. The title of the message this morning is Children and the Kingdom. Children and the Kingdom. Jesus is going to tie his righteous indignation to a truth about the kingdom itself, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. If you're into subtitles this morning, you could simply title it A Sermon for Nursery Workers. A Sermon for Nursery Workers. And I want to look at this in three different parts today. First of all, we're going to see, take a look at the disciples. We're going to look at their perspective. Their perspective that saw these children as someone, as, as people to be hindered from coming to Jesus. Secondly, we're going to look at Jesus' priority. What did Jesus value about these children that made him so upset? Remember what we said. You get upset when what you value is threatened. Jesus got upset when something that he valued was being threatened. And thirdly, a pattern. What is the pattern that Jesus is setting for us in our lives as Christians, in our life as a church together, and in our homes as families together. Let's look, first of all, at this perspective. And they brought, it says, Scripture says, young children to him that he should touch them. Now, who is they? Who is they? Well, they presumably are parents. The verb, it's, we're told here, is a masculine verb. It may have been more fathers. We might think ordinarily that the mothers would be bringing them. I guess that's possible. But it seems to suggest that they were fathers bringing them, perhaps, perhaps older brothers bringing their little children to Jesus. Now, why would they be doing that? Well, it would have been common in that day for parents to bring their children to a rabbi, a prominent rabbi, to express a blessing. If you go back into the Old Testament, you see this practice of elderly patriarchs or important influential people blessing other people. Do you remember Melchizedek, king of Salem, 
blessing Abraham when he came back from the spoil. Do you remember in, in the end of the book of Genesis when different fathers of the patriarchs, Abraham or Isaac and Jacob, blessed their children, putting a blessing, if you will, on them as part of God's covenant family. And so here it would have been a common thing for children to come and receive a blessing. And especially so because of how prominent Jesus was at this time. Have you ever seen, even in our day and age, the desire to place children by usually wealthy or connected parents in the position of celebrity? Here, here's a famous athlete. Here, can you, can you interact with my child? Here's a great political figure. Here, can, can you hold my baby? Can you, can, you, can you connect with these individuals? I know on a, on a very, very small scale, something that makes me deeply uncomfortable, occasionally I've preached at a conference or another church, and someone will come up to me after the service and say, can you sign my Bible? Please don't do that. It's really uncomfortable. It's really uncomfortable. I just kind of try to scribble. Here's a little verse, and here, here, here's my name. Well, you kind of get that same idea. Here, here's Jesus. He's a, he's a, here's a famous rabbi. He's a famous teacher. The, clou- the, the crowds are flocking around him. And here, you, will you take my child up, and will you, will you bless him? Will you bless her? That's what's going on. But notice what the disciples do. His disciples rebuked those that brought them. Now let's try to put ourselves in the disciples' shoes here. What are they perceiving? Well, we know that Jesus is really important at this time. Huge crowds are flocking to him for teaching, for healing. It's really busy. We know that in an earlier period of life in Jesus' ministry, they didn't even have time to eat It's just like all day people are coming to Jesus, adults for healing and for teaching, and Jesus is preaching the kingdom to them. Put yourself in the disciples' shoes for a minute. Wouldn't you naturally have responded and said, Jesus, let's focus on the big stuff. Let's focus on the people who've got physical needs. I know you can heal them. Jesus, don't you think we should be focusing on teaching? Isn't that why you came? Come on, teach. We don't have time for these kids. Now, who are these kids? The word that is used here literally means young, young children. Luke, in his recounting of this story, calls them infants. Infants. These are young children. At a minimum, they were down to just after birth. And also in Luke, it says that Jesus called them to him, which suggests that there were at least some there that were toddlers, right? They could get around. But I'm thinking, if you'll just come in with me, if this makes sense to you, I'm thinking infants, maybe up to two, three, four years old, a kind of range of a very young child. Notice the perspective from the disciples, I think it's fair to say. Number one is that these children were insignificant compared to the rest of what Jesus was doing. Jesus was doing big things, and these were small people, and they didn't have the problems that the big people had. So let's focus on the big people. Here's another thing I think we can fairly say about them. They probably thought that these children were inconvenient. They were not only insignificant in their value, they were inconvenient in their burden, in the cost. Now, and there's no getting around that children, in this sense, are inconvenient. 
If you think that the greatest value that Jesus had was healing people and doing adult ministry, and suddenly there are little babies that are coming up to him and all this crowd of people with babies saying, Jesus, here, please say a blessing. Please say a prayer over my child. You probably would have said too. Oh, come on. Let's get to the big stuff first. You're distracting Jesus. You're taking him away from his most important kind of ministry. They were inconvenient, they were insignificant, and therefore to the disciples, they should be excluded. That was their conclusion. They should be excluded. You know this word that is used here for rebuked, they rebuked them, is a really strong word. It's the same word that is used in this gospel when it says that Jesus rebuked demons and cast them out of people. I mean, this was not just like a Oh, come on, can we form a line? We'll try to get to you when we need it. These were the disciples standing up and saying, No, Jesus does not have time for you. Now, I just want to pause here for a moment and say, have times really changed that much? Have times really changed that much in the way that we often view children today? Children are insignificant. Children are inconvenient. Well, look at, if you're just looking at children as a cost-benefit kind of analysis, what's their benefit? Well, there's not a whole lot of benefit from a young baby, I mean, in terms of what they can give to you. They're cute, they're cuddly, but they're also really messy, and they're really expensive, I saw um, uh, Tabitha was recounting to me uh, a study that was done just in the last several months that said that, that estimated that a child in today's dollars, today's age, will cost $310,000 until the time they're 18. Now, my wife was one of 14, and her dad lived on an assistant pastor's salary. I can tell you those kids didn't cost $300,000 each to raise. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm calling, I'm calling a, a, into question the validity of that. But think about how our world views. Why do you think our, our, our birth rates are dropping in every civilized country? Why? Because children cost more than our culture perceives they're worth. Some of you saw within the last, oh, five years or so, a story that came out of Iceland. And it was a CBS News report, and it said, quote, few countries have come as close to eradicating Down syndrome births as Iceland. You say, wow, what are they doing to catch and eliminate Down syndrome? No, they're not eradicating Down syndrome births. They're eradicating Down syndrome children. Because the country has such a high rate of prenatal testing, when they identify a child in the womb that has Down syndrome, they are aborting that child, and therefore they have, quote-unquote, eliminated, nearly eliminated Down syndrome from their country. What is the view of children with Down syndrome in our world? Often, they are insignificant, and they are inconvenient. If we are to look at other statistics about the plight of children in our world, we would see it. I saw something this week that suggested that there are over 100 million orphans in our world. 100 million orphans around the world. Even if you look at even more horrific statistics in terms of 
global sex, sex trafficking involving children, we are talking over 5 million, it's been estimated, children being trafficked for their bodies yearly. Just by comparison, the estimated population of Minnesota it's, as a state is just over 5.5 million people. An entire state of Minnesota being globally trafficked. Children, insignificant, inconvenient, and we can look at the various ends of the spectrum in which that is actually communicated by our actions. But we can't get away that this kind of thing is a part of a perspective even today. It's true, not in this extreme effect, but sometimes it can be true even in our churches. It can be true for those who care for children. You can talk to just about any church and see the challenge it is in recruiting nursery workers. I tuned in onto a live stream this morning because um, Anna, my sister, and David, their little baby Isabel, you may have seen when she came recently, was being dedicated at their church. And it was so funny because the pastor completes the dedication and prays um, for them. And then he says as they're walking down, and so I just need to tell you, we're really growing as a church. We have all these babies in the nursery, and I just need to tell you, we need help. And I'm sitting there thinking, this guy gets it. This guy gets it. He, he and I, we're on the same page right here. We know all about that. What is it? it we, we so easily view children as insignificant and inconvenient, even if we never say it in that way. There is nonetheless that kind of perspective that can be the same perspective of those disciples back then. And that's why we need to see, secondly, Jesus' priority. The perspective of the disciples is held up against Jesus' priority. And look what he says. Suffer or permit the little children, these infants, these toddlers, to come unto me and forbid them not. Don't you dare say no. For of such is the kingdom of God. Notice the first thing that Jesus is saying about these children. He's not saying that they are insignificant. His position is they are invaluable. They are invaluable. You do not say no to them coming to me for this kind of blessing because children have intrinsic value and worth in the eyes of God. Notice his reasoning. For of such is the kingdom of God. Now, what is he saying there? You could maybe say it like this. To such like these belong the kingdom of God. Or in other words, the kingdom of God belongs to ones like these. Infants. Toddlers. Ones that the world sometimes, either expressly or just implicitly, acts as if they are insignificant. Now, let's understand what he's not saying here. This passage is sometimes used as a proof text to support the practice of infant baptism, to sprinkling babies with water when they are just born. Our view is we don't see any support in Scripture for that practice, and we don't see support in it in this passage. There's not a drop of water in this passage. There's not one command in this passage, in Jesus' suggestion, is that infants should receive what is clearly a picture of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. 
So we don't see any kind of connection to it here. Others have seen a connection between this and what has been called the age of accountability. The idea that there is a covering of God's mercy and grace for those who, who die as infants before they have any ability to exercise repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, um, for those who are mentally incompetent, who are not able to see and experience the grace of God in Jesus Christ, that God covers them in mercy and in grace. I think there's a, a, a very credible argument to be made from this passage that this is what Jesus is referring to when he says, of such is the kingdom of God. You are to treat them as valuable members, if you will, covered by the grace of God. But I leave that to your own study and conviction. But notice what Jesus is not turning away from here. He is standing resolutely on the fact you do not say no to these valuable people in my sight. You do not prioritize you do not exclude um, their care, their ministry for the ministry that may seem more significant and may seem more convenient. But there's another point here, if we keep diving in, that I think is so, un is so remarkably profound. Will you look with me again? After Jesus says, for of such is the kingdom of God, he wants to make a deeper point. He says, verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, as one of these infants, he shall not enter therein. What's the point he's making? What's the connection he's making? Notice, his disciples are viewing them as insignificant and inconvenient. And Jesus is responding, no, they are invaluable and they are irreplaceable. They are irreplaceable as what? A picture. Notice what he's saying about these children. He is saying, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God like them has no hope of entering the kingdom. In other words, what does it mean to become a Christian? It means being childlike. No, I didn't say childish. I said childlike. Jesus makes the same point in Matthew chapter 18. Will you listen to these words? At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They love talking about this. They love figuring out who would be the greatest. And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. You see what he's saying? The disciples are saying, we're in the kingdom. So who gets to be the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus says, no, we've got to take a step back, boys. Let's take a step back to getting into the kingdom. How do you get into the kingdom? You become like a little child. That's what you do. Wow. And then he went on to say, Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You want to know how to be great? It's connected to how you get in. You become like a little child, and once you're in the kingdom, you keep humbling yourself every day like this little child, and that's how you're great in my kingdom. Now, you want to talk about turning our worldly perspectives upside down 
Look at this. In a world in which children can be seen as insignificant and inconvenient, Jesus holds them up as an invaluable, irreplaceable picture of what it looks like to be a Christian and to be a great Christian in his kingdom. Be like them. Be like whom? Infants. Toddlers. You say, okay, well, I'm going to need a little bit of a, I'm going to need a little bit of help there. What's he not saying? He's not saying that you need to become like infants or like children in their innocence. He's not saying that. Because frankly, if any of you have had children, you know pretty quickly they were born into a sin nature just like you and I were. Those children are not innocent. I can assure you from personal experience, well before the age of two, that little sin nature is coming out. That little stubbornness, that little rebellion, that little selfishness, that little pride is even then coming out in them. It's not that Jesus is saying, you need to clean yourself up like these innocent, sweet, cute, cuddly little children. That's not what he's saying. What is he saying? Well, notice what he said in Matthew 18, except you humble yourself like a little child. You can't be great in the kingdom. And isn't this exactly what Jesus has been talking about over and over as he's been teaching the disciples through Mark chapter 9 and now Mark chapter 10? How are you great in God's eyes when you make yourself little in your own eyes? How do you make yourself great in the kingdom of God when you make yourself small in the eyes of yourself? When you are willing to see yourself as being the last of all, and the servant of all. You see, what is the picture of a child that Jesus is reflecting here? He's doing one thing of weakness. A toddler, an infant, is entirely dependent, and they know it. An infant has no ability to go in and pour a box of Wheaties for himself in the morning. And so all he does is cry for mom. Mom's has my food. It's the, only so, it's the only source. It's the only hope I have of eating. It's mom. I am completely helpless. I am weak. A toddler comes to their dad, to their mom, for what they cannot get on their own. And they have no compulsions, no compunctions about simply saying, help, I can't do it. That's what it means to humble yourself like a little child. That's what it means to become a Christian. It means to humble yourself before God, before whom you have sinned and deserve his eternal judgment and say, I have no hope of making it on my own. I have no ability to, for the, to, to pursue the forgiveness of my own sins. I have no works of righteousness that I can do to earn favor in your sight. I have nothing to bring. And so therefore, my only hope is in the person of Jesus Christ who you sent for the redemption, my eternal redemption. And Jesus says, unless you become like that little child, completely helpless in your own sight, completely weak and without strength to save yourself, in other words, only when you understand the grace of God that reaches helpless sinners like us, and brings us into the family of God by the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, only then can you enter into the kingdom of heaven.
unless you receive the kingdom of God like this little child. Like what? Helpless, weak, and utterly dependent. That's the only way that you will enter in to the kingdom of God. Can I just make this simple point? When we are tempted to look at children as insignificant and, in, and, and, and utterly inconvenient, we are forgetting that God gave us children in order to show us what we need to be like. And the next time that we are seeing that annoyance and irritation bubble up in our own life about the young children that are around us, may we just step back with Jesus and say, wait a second. God gave me this picture right here in order to show me what I need to be like to be great in God's sight. No, not the whining. No, not the complaining. No, not the selfishness and the stubbornness that can be in young children. But in their humble dependence to do what they can't do is our same calling not just to enter the kingdom of God, but to be great in his kingdom. Why do you think that Jesus exemplified and, and told us these pictures of what it was like that God was our father and we were like a child? He said, ask and ye shall receive. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. Why? Because he says, if you being dads, if you dads out there, you know how to give good gifts to your children. And I hope dads, you do know how to give good gifts to your children. He said this, how much more shall your father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? You're helpless children too. Day after day, there is nothing that you can do to merit your inclusion in God's story. There is nothing that you can do to perform your way onto God's radar. Your hope of pleasing him today and in every day that follows is to come to him humbly and say, God, I need you today. I need you today. I am helpless to do what you want me to do without your work in my life. And it's when we come to him in that kind of helpless dependence that, he, that we are expressing, that we are realizing this picture of what it is to be like a little child in his sight. Notice what Jesus' example to them was. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. Look at verse 16. And he took them up in his arms. The idea is here he embraced them. He so tenderly enveloped them in his arms. He put his hands upon them. He blessed them. What do you think the disciples were feeling right now? Pretty embarrassed? Pretty ashamed? Oh, this is how Jesus feels about infants. This is how Jesus feels about toddlers. This is how Jesus feels about our kids up in the nursery. When we sang today, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. That's right. Because he showed us by taking them up in his arms, embracing them, touching them, blessing them. Jesus was not too busy for children. He did not view them as inconvenient and insignificant. He viewed them as invaluable 
and irreplaceable because of what they show about our proper relationship to our Father in heaven. First of all, there's a perspective. Secondly, here there's Jesus' priority. And then thirdly, let's look at our own pattern. What does this mean for our relationship to children in our own lives? Let me just suggest three things by way of application. And I trust you all as sensible people to apply it in your own lives. First of all, what does this mean for children in our world? How do we respond as Christians to a world in which there are over 100 million orphans, in which millions of children are being trafficked globally for their bodies? This is one of the most significant um, economic uh, patterns in our world today, sex trafficking. It's, it is everywhere whether it is in the form of the vile material on the internet, whatever, whatever way you want to look at it, where children are being mistreated, where they are being abused, the heart of Jesus is there. And we should ourselves be willing where God calls us to support the efforts, by the way, so often of Christians, sincere Christians around the world who are seeking to oppose these practices, oppose the world's view of children so often and stand with them. We ourselves should stand shoulder to shoulder. We love and defend children because they are invaluable in Jesus' eyes. The second thing is what about for us in our church? What does it mean for our church? Probably most of you know the history of our church 43 years ago. Roger Magnuson and Dave Thorson in particular, were convinced that a church where they were attending that was telling about 30 or so children that they had been picking up on a bus, we're not going to pick you up anymore. I don't know that they would have said it like this, but perhaps there was a thought that they were insignificant and inconvenient. And those two men said, that is not standing with the heart of Jesus. And they took those 30 children and founded, or 30 or so children and founded Straight Gate Church, our heart as a church has always been to reflect the heart of Jesus for children of whatever age. And that's not going to change by God's grace. This church needs to be a place where children are embraced as invaluable and embraced as irreplaceable. It means that this church needs to be a home where children, can I say it, can be children. It's very interesting, isn't it, that so often we tell children, children, you become adults. And there is a process of maturity by which children become adults. But do you notice that Jesus is saying the exact opposite? Adults, you become like children. We say, children, you become like adults. Yes. And Jesus looks at us and says, you adults, you start being a little bit more like kids. In other words, our kids in their relationship to us are patterns for us to follow. And no, we don't want the narthex to be a place where you're likely to fall and break a hip because you get crashed into by a crazy child running around. My child's probably in the lead. I'm going to be honest about that. I'm going, to be, I'm going to humble myself in that way. But the point is this. We want this church to be a place where children can be children in appropriate ways. 
Listen to what Spurgeon said. I think he has great wisdom here. He said, for a boy to put on the air and manners of a man is not sanctification. That is to spoil him, not sanctify him. And for a girl to be other than a girl and to assume the air and tone of her careful mother should be very mischievous. God does not sanctify children into men, but he sanctifies children in their own childlike way. I think there's wisdom in that. Yes, we should be appropriate. We should make sure that things are done decently and in order as we can. But we should embrace children as children for what they teach about who God is. By the way, let me say to our nursery workers, this is a sermon for nursery workers. And maybe you've never volunteered in the nursery, but I just want to say this to you. Every time you change a diaper, Every time up in that nursery for a child who's not your own, you embrace and hold a child in your arm and wipe a tear and comfort another hurt, you're standing with Jesus. You are. You're doing what Jesus did. He embraced. He blessed. He ministered to infants, to toddlers, as an expression of their value to him and their picture of what the kingdom of heaven is like. Thank you, nursery workers. And if you have any desire to participate in that ministry, I know that many would be very grateful. Finally, and very briefly, what does this mean for our homes? If you are in a home right now where there are young children, remember to stand with Jesus on them, with, with them. Remember that our tendency, I can say my tendency as a, as a young father, is to see them as sometimes insignificant and inconvenient in the scope of the other things that I'm doing in my life. We feel as parents there's so much important that we have to do. Friends, there are important things for you to do as a dad and as a mom. But remember, remember what is invaluable and remember what is irreplaceable. It's not you getting a promotion. That may be valuable. It may be important. It may not be doing exactly what you want to do around the house. It may not be doing exactly your hobby or your free time or spending what you, your life when you get home from work. Remember what is invaluable. To take the children that God has given you, to permit them to come to him, not to stand in any way as a roadblock, and to view and to live life with the children that God has given you prioritizing their development, prioritizing treating them in the way that God would have you to. What a wonderful thing it is when we as parents, through all the irritations, through all the difficulties, through all the burdens and all the costs of, of having children and raising them up, when we remember, for of such is the kingdom of God. God has given you these children to be a picture to you of what your relationship with your Heavenly Father is to look like. And so let's remember that in all of the challenging days that may be ahead for those of us who are young parents. What makes Jesus really upset? What makes him upset is when those whom he values, whether that's those who are children in, in their age, whether that's those who are children in their mental faculties, whether that's children who are those in their humble faith and dependence, what makes Jesus upset is when that picture is ignored of what is truly valuable to him. 
may we see that of such is the kingdom of heaven and may we live it out in our lives and in our church.